Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Good Tuesday afternoon to you all. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris. On Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is the time of the year where we have new folks that find the show. So welcome. Definitely a pleasure to have you all here. Um, please take a moment to reach out on social media. Like, subscribe, whatever the the situation warrants. And uh, I try to do my best to get back in touch with as many folks that reach out to me as uh, as humanly possible. This is also simulcast on YouTube. Technically, this is just a recorded podcast. If you guys are watching live, you're just watching me record a show, which I realize is not the most entertaining way to spend your afternoon, but there had been uh, a request to do as many of these on YouTube as possible, so here you go. Hope you guys had a chance to check out the mock draft from earlier this morning that uh, highlighted the, the, I mean, something that we've sort of come to know is a thing these days and that is that old guys fall injury prone guys fall old guys fall and we're just going to kind of keep capitalizing on that until it stops happening which in my mind is probably never as far as what we're going to be talking about on today's show we've got the 50 to 60 range is kind of the next thing we sped through the 40 or it was like the 37 to 50 range which I I admit I kind of regret a little bit I wanted to get to the next block of things to talk about, and so I zoomed a little, and I kind of wish I hadn't done that, but you know what? It's okay, because today we're going to be starting, we're going by ADP, of course. We're going to be going by the player who sequentially would be the 51st player taken in drafts. That's Zach Levine, and we'll work our way towards number 60 taken in drafts. That right now is Josh Giddy. These numbers are changing day-to-day, so by the time we get through a few of these names, they may have moved a little bit. Some of that is because guys have been shifted up or down on the board. Brooke Lopez, for instance, got pushed later. Paolo Boncaro uh, a little bit later. Jared Allen a little bit later. Maxi a little earlier, and so on and so forth. Jordan Poole a little earlier. But let's just go ahead and get started. We'll kind of see where the day takes us. Starting with Zach Levine who uh, we talked a little bit about at the end of our, like, what to do at the end of the top 50, but we didn't get into the real nuts and bolts of it. So here's the thing with Zach Levine. He's pretty damn stable. And sometimes that's what the doctor ordered. Last season, he was number 50. Right on the schnozzeroo. 50 exactly. 25 points per game, two and a half threes, four and a half boards, about four assists, a steal, very few blocks, decent field goal percentage, 48 and change, solid free throw number at 85 and 5.6 attempts per game and a turnover number that will not break the back at two and a half. His job, barring a trade, is pretty damn secure. Chicago made more fringy changes, bringing in guys like Torrey Craig to kind of toughen up the rotation a little bit. But by and large, the Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan 
tandem shooting guard small forward thing is intact. Vooch is back, but he doesn't take a ton of usage from these guys. He kind of takes what's left over after the DeMar and Zach Levine show. Levine, other than the one uh, catastrophic injury earlier in his career, has generally been fairly healthy. He played 77 out of 82 games last year. He's on a long, extended, uh, and expensive contract, so moving him would be kind of tough unless there was, I think, a relatively large player brought back. So then you have him slotting into a pretty open usage spot, even if he got moved to another team. Like, for instance, if the Bulls got involved with Philadelphia somehow. Is there a lot to like about Zach Levine this year? No, actually, not really is the answer on that one. There's there's not a whole lot that's going to change with him. Like, this is what he is. Last year, he was 48, 47.6% from the field, so rounded up to 48 on about 18 shots per game. The free throws were almost exactly the same. The threes, the boards, the assists. The steals were actually a little bit better this year, so that was a slight uptick for him. But by and large, he's a guy that you can just kind of carve into the stone block and know what you're going to get. And so to that end, as a guy being drafted around 50, where he probably is, and also we should bear in mind, his totals rank was much better than that because of the durability element last year. He was number 28 by totals. That's the upside with Zach Levine. It's not that he's just going to magically get a ton better. The upside is that he stays the same. Weird, right? His numbers from the prior season, which were almost exactly the same, had him ranked 46th. The year before that, the 72-game season, he was 25th, but he scored 27.5 points per game that year, and he shot 51%. Everything was just sort of better that season. They didn't have uh, DeMar and Lonzo. Remember, he came in in that mayhem also. And Levine was 38 the year before that. This was, again, mostly before the DeMar DeRozan thing happened. He dropped off by a round to two rounds since that time, and that'll probably continue. So would I take Zach Levine at pick 51? I guess this is technically 51. The answer is yes, I would. I have no problem with him there, and I kind of like it because you can get a little points infusion without blowing up any part of your roster. By the way, he also had one and a half steals if you go back a couple of seasons, so I, I guess it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that he could up that number again, but also I don't know that I would bank on it. Is there much downside in Zach Levine? Um, not a ton. He's a relatively safe pick. DeMar getting traded feels like the more likely scenario, and in that case, Levine probably ends up doing more. If you had to just call it 50-50 on who gets moved, I don't think that that's fully accurate. 52 is Jordan Poole, although he got moved up to 49 in the most recent Yahoo pre-rank board, and so my... Uh, it's an educated guess, but... A guess nonetheless, nonetheless, is that he's going to be going earlier than 52. And in most mocks that I've done since Yahoo rearranged their board, he has been going earlier than 52. But he's definitely a player that deserves a decent amount of our attention. Because this last year, Jordan Poole was ranked 148 in 9-cat. And you're like, Dan. Weren't his numbers not that different from Zach Levine, who you just talked about? And I'd be like, well, you know what? You're not that far off. He didn't score as much. Poole was at 20 points. Levine was at 25. That's a difference, certainly. Threes and assists were almost exactly the same. Defensive stats were almost exactly the same. Free throws was almost exactly the same. 
Levine had a pretty good edge on uh, pool and rebounds, about two per ball game, and his field goal percent was about five and a half, six clicks higher. Turnovers a little bit lower as well. But this is, again, Jordan Poole is a stark example of what can happen to a shooting guard profile type of player when things fall off. I would point you guys to the previous year with Poole, where he actually did less. His usage was lower. He was only at 18.5 points per game, but he was number 64 on a per-game basis because he had a better clip of three-pointers and free throws, mind you. Shot 93% almost at the free throw line, which, again, that's a big-time number, and 45% from the field. But this is also an illustration of how fast players can move when percentages bounce around. And for certain guys, like a Jordan Poole, actually, who's, I think, a great example of this, we don't really know what his percentages are going to look like this coming season. Because we just don't have that much history on Poole. At least not while he's been a larger part of what's been going on. This coming season will be his fifth in the NBA, but only his third as what you'd call a regular everyday contributor. He's on a new team. So that's reason to believe that he's going to get to do a lot. He joins a team that lost Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis in the offseason, retained Kyle Kuzma and his very large usage rate. But Poole is the other usage guy there now. He's basically going to be given superstar usage treatment. And not that we have a, a perfect example of that, but we've seen plenty of games where Poole's taken 20 shots, and those games were pretty good from a fantasy standpoint. The holes, unfortunately, do yet remain in Jordan's game, and those are largely uh, defense is a big one. He's not an uh, all-world defender, and whatever you can get out of him on defense is worthwhile. You're kind of like, yay. But, you know, maybe playing on a helter-skelter team that who knows what their ambitions are in Washington, probably not great. Maybe that helps that. Uh, rebounds are probably going to stay relatively low. Assists, one would think, might climb a tiny bit higher if the ball in his hand is in his hands even more and just minutes the minutes are going to be bigger so what is Jordan Poole well if he's taking 20 shots a game and he's hitting 43 percent of them he's pretty damn close to a punt field goal guy there simply aren't that many guys in the NBA that have that volume and that field goal percent. LaMelo Ball last year in his kind of limited activity was a pretty good example of one, but LaMelo was able to make up for that with big-time assists and superior, I don't say big-time, but superior defensive stats to what you're going to get out of Jordan Poole. So then you have to ask yourself something along these lines. Okay, let's say Jordan Poole does get 20 shots per game, and we know he's an excellent foul shooter, so that's something that helps as well. Where does that potentially push him on the per game side in a worst case scenario let's say he does shoot like Lamelo, like 41 percent although by and large indications are that Jordan Poole would bottom out closer to 42 but hard to say would he be able to do enough in the other categories to make up for that because Lamelo also is a, a better rebounder than Poole he averaged six and a half of them 
and Poole's probably going to be in the threes, one would think, this coming year. Is there enough? Could Poole score 26, 27 points per game? That's a lot. I think people, you might see that projection in some spots, but that's a huge number of shots every ball game. 24-25 feels within the realm of possibility. Four three-pointers feels within the realm of possibility. Rebounds and assists are probably not going to be that great. Steals and blocks are probably not going to be that great. Field goal percent is probably not going to be that great. And then maybe we have the Shea Gilgis-Alexander question of, like, could Jordan Poole get to the free throw line five or six times and shoot almost 90%? That would be, you know, Steph Curry-type free throw impact. Could he get there six-plus times? Now you're starting to claw your way towards Kevin Durant free throw impact. Probably not quite that high. So I have trouble seeing Jordan Poole get into that, like, 20-something range just because there are these big holes in his game. And, like, we talk about LaMelo as someone who's going to go really early and probably, you know, is still a field goal punt type of guy when he's going that early. But he was number 30 per game last year in 9-cat. And now you're talking about Jordan Poole and saying, can he keep up with LaMelo? I'm inclined to think the answer there is probably not. The way he climbs over him is by going full-on buck wild at the free throw line and just being not that terrible in field goal percent. So for Poole, 25 is probably the best-case scenario. Uh, worst case is that everything goes to, hey, to to pot, and he shoots 41% on 20 shots, but the other stuff doesn't make up for it. Even still, you're talking about a floor, someone doing that much stuff. There really isn't anybody that did that much almost ever, and has been worse than, like, 75. Julius Randle's kind of your closest thing to guy who gets lots of stats and is barely inside the top 75. Randle's terrible in both percentages, though. I'm, I'm figuring Jordan Poole will be bad in one and very good in the other. Not going to keep up with Randle in rebounds, obviously, but there are other places where he can kind of surpass him. And then if you look at guys past that, dudes that scored 25 points per game and couldn't hit that mark, John ja Morant, but again, bad percentages weighing things down. It's both of them. Poole's not really a both of them kind of guy. Again, now Ja has the eight assists, so that pushes him out in front. And But you got to account for Poole likely having a bunch of turnovers. He'll also uh, blister Ja and three-pointers made just while we're making this comparison. Giannis, I mean, come on, that's just a punt thing, so he doesn't belong where he got ranked last year. And then it just doesn't exist. Jordan Poole is the other guy. As you scroll way, 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 way down the board, who who scored 20 points per game and wasn't anywhere near top 75? Jordan Poole and Keldon Johnson and Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson got no defensive stats, wasn't good enough at free throws to make up for the bad field goal percent, which is kind of like, why he was weighed down. His other stuff, by the way, not that far off from the sort of Jordan Poole range. And then Keldon Johnson, uh, both percentages, sort of a disaster. So the floor is Jordan Clarkson last year, which is indeed pretty bad, but I just I can't imagine that Poole isn't a much larger positive, positive contributor at the free throw line and threes and scoring and probably steals and possibly even assists. But, I mean, this whole, like... Top 25, that is, that's going to take a big lift on his part. It's got to be consistently good all year long, and those holes we keep talking about, they just can't pop up the way that you'd expect. 
Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. All right, so that's Zach Levine and Jordan Poole. Um, we did get a question right in the middle of it. What makes Poole different than Jalen Green? Is he going to be as efficient when he doesn't play with Steph in the Warriors system? Yeah, I mean, that's the fear with uh, with a guy like Jordan Poole. Will he just be Jalen Green this coming season? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's the, the bottoming out. It's not impossible to see it going that way. I think his assists will be better than Green's. Um, and his free throw is going to be substantially better. So that's one of the big issues that Jalen Green was staring down that, that Jordan Poole is not. I would think his three-pointers are also going to be significantly higher in a bigger usage rate, but like, it's not that different. So that's how the bottom falls out. That's a good question. Next guy on the board is DeAndre Ayton who's getting drafted at 53, and I don't know. This feels like one of the most boring plays on the whole damn board, and this is coming from someone who likes boring plays, but Aiden was number 56 last year on 18 points, 10 rebounds, good field goal percent at 59, although it sure felt like it could have been higher in that system, but 59 will do. 76% at the free throw line is not bad, but also he doesn't block shots. I I don't see the 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 big positives of DeAndre Ayton. He's it's just not a shot blocking center. Hasn't been since he came into the league and it doesn't feel like that's just about to magically flip overnight. I do think you can expect it and folks on YouTube can see it on their screen. If you look back the previous year he was uh he shot 63% from the field, I, certainly that's a thing that could come back this season, playing alongside Booker and Durant and Beal. A lot of what he's going to be doing is just cleaning things up around the, the the bucket. So his points go down, but maybe the efficiency goes up a little bit. But I, 10 rebounds is good. I like getting that in, in this kind of mid-round rage. It just it feels like, why are we taking Ayton? When some of these other centers are still on the board. And you can see some of them right here left in this round. And I don't know if we're going to get to this this stretch of names today. But uh, like four picks later, you could go Brooke Lopez, who is not going to get to 10 rebounds, but 
did block three times as many shots last year and was actually more durable, although maybe some of that is Brooke just staying on his feet, get that nice new contract. Uh, you've also got Jared Allen still sitting on the board. Allen, if you really wanted the more traditional center size, still not a great shot blocker, but 64% from the field and 1.2 blocks per game. You sacrifice a couple of points per game, but presumably you've been able to clean that up elsewhere. I would far prefer Jared Allen to DeAndre Ayton. And if you wanted to go even farther down the board, there are guys like Clint Capella, uh, Onyeka Okongwu, um, who are just... Like, Okongwu last year wasn't that far behind DeAndre Ayton in only 23 minutes per ballgame. He might beat him per game this year if that scale tips one or two minutes in Atlanta. It doesn't take all that much to flip it. Now, that's not a guy that I would clean up on there, but thinking about other guys that were not that far behind DeAndre Ayton that could pass him, Walker Kessler was better than him the final couple months of the year. Rudy Gobert was right behind him, and maybe a settling there allows him to go a little bit earlier um, Jakob Pertl was better down the stretch than DeAndre Ayton. Mitchell Robinson was actually ranked in front of him. That's a pretty blocks-heavy reasoning. But, so look, I get it. Some of these guys are not good foul shooters. DeAndre Ayton doesn't hurt you at the free throw line the way that someone like Mitchell Robinson or Jakob Pertl or Walker Kessler does. I get it. But their rankings, that's all encompassing. None of these guys turn the ball over that much, so it's not like... You know, that's the big whopping difference between them. Pirtle was, frankly, quite close. And Aiden turned them all over too many times for my liking. 1.8 turnovers from a guy that does not pass ever is probably too many. So I don't like DeAndre Aiden at this spot. He's he's too boring. There's just, there's like nowhere for him to go. Why would I want to go that route? Give me somebody that... that could maybe elevate or at least has the higher floor between those dudes. And then it, maybe if DeAndre Aiden had like played in all of his games last year, I'd say, yeah, you go there. Maybe you, you bust through by totals or something to that effect. But even that wasn't a guarantee. And that's the case with all big dudes. You just can't rely on big men to play every single game. They're so giant that eventually their limbs are going to kind of give way. Let's do one more player today and kind of see what the clock looks like. And that dude is Scotty Barnes, who uh, is currently has an ADP to 55.7. But again, if you line it up sequentially, he is number 54. Barnes was someone that I faded on this show last year because he was a guy that I said, you know what, I need to see this thing happen before I believe that this thing will happen. And that ended up working out very nicely because he finished at number 85 on a per-game basis. He was... Pretty consistent, too, from uh, kind of like from start to finish, really. He was 76 the second half of the year after being like mid-90s the first half of the season. His numbers didn't fluctuate very much. Um, second half of the year is at 16 points, 6 boards, 5 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.8 blocks. Percentages were not that great for him. There's a planet where Barnes... You know, he moves up in the pecking order with Freddie Van Vliet gone from Toronto, so that's good for him. Um, but Schroeder slides in and, and does more of the point guard stuff. And they can say, like, the words are all good. Scotty Barnes running point Scotty Barnes, but he's not efficient. He's not a brilliant passer. He's not a brilliant scorer. He's not a great outside shooter. So there's all these things that need to get fixed for him to get way, way better. 
But there aren't that many things that he needs to fix to get a little bit better, to get from that 75-80 range up to where he gets where he's getting drafted right now, which is in the 50s. So that I could see happening. Now, let's say that he gets an extra one and a half shots per game. He goes from 13.2 field goal attempts to like 14.7 or 15. That pushes him up closer to, you know, 18 points per game, one three-pointer, maybe the rebounds, the assists stay at like seven and five roughly, and two defensive stats. And what if, just for argument's sake, field goal and free throw each improve by like one and a half percent? Yeah, that gets him inside the top 50. Barely, but it gets him there. But still, the discussion here about Barnes, we're kind of contorting ourselves into loops and twists and knots just to get him back to where he's getting drafted. That's not the way that I like to construct a team. I don't want to construct a team out of guys where I have to work really, really hard to get them back where they belong. I want a team out of guys that are either going to get there on their own without having to really think about it very much, or... Guys where I'm like, look, if things break their way, this dude beats their ADP by two, three rounds. Something like that. Barnes is not that guy in my eyes. Honestly, of the players we've talked about today, the one that where that could shake out is probably Zach Levine. And that's if DeMar gets out of the way and suddenly he pops back into that 30-some-odd range with extra usage. Or if Jordan Poole's... Uh, you know, goes back to shooting 90-some-odd percent at the free throw line and the field goal percent and turnovers don't weigh him down too far, there's a ceiling for him, but there's also a much lower elevator cable broken kind of floor with Poole that makes him a very, very scary play. With Barnes, I think you've got a decent floor. It doesn't seem like he's going to do any less this year, so floor is probably about 90, uh, ceiling's probably about 40, but that, again, kind of falls on the wrong side of an ADP of 54, which is where we're, st- we're staring right now. You know, we can probably do one more guy because we're only about 20-some-odd minutes deep on this show. Before I do, I want to remind everybody again that if you're looking for the Brewski 150, it comes out in 15 days in the Ethos 360 package. Ethos 360 has the earliest release of the B150 out of any of the packages at Sports Ethos. It also includes the All-Sport Fantasy Pass, basketball, baseball, football, draft guides, and in-season premium in addition to the DFS Pass and the Wager Pass, all of the subscriptions are in Ethos 360. In addition to, again, the earliest Brewski 150 drop out of anything on the website. It's the only package that gets the B150 20 days before the start of the season. Everybody else has to wait a bit longer. Be the first. Be the winner. Convince your league mates to do your draft 18 days before the start of the season, and you can be the only person in your draft with the B150 That's over at sportsethos.com. Check that out right away. One more name, and that name is Julius Randle, who's always going to have a higher ADP than his rank suggests because he's a points league darling. Scotty Barnes, a little bit of a points league darling also actually this past year. Uh, But Julius Randle is like, okay, Russell Westbrook is the prototype of a points league darling, but Julius Randle is the guy who can also actually have nine category value in addition to being a points league darling because he's very good at scoring, excellent at threes, especially out of a guy who has typically center eligibility in leagues, excellent rebounder, good assists for a big man. Tends to be quite bad in steals, blocks, field goal percent, free throw, and turnovers. Three of those, of course, being the categories that are not so heavily weighted on the points league side. And if you punt all three of those, which is 
sort of a fuzzy math way of seeing, hey, how's, how good is Julius Randle? If you punt all three of these things, well, he's a lot better. He moves all the way up to number 26. He has the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth largest jump of anybody in the NBA by punting all three of those categories, which is kind of surprising. But that there are other things that kind of factor in on that, games played and so forth. Uh, behind Giannis, obviously, because his free throws were so heavily weighted by themselves, and turnovers, Luka, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, who a little bit of a points league darling himself, Russ, yeah, it's still Russ, John Morant, James Harden, LeBron James, and then Julius Randle. So, because we're breaking down nine cat on this show, I don't think I need to tell you twice, Julius Randle is not, wave my hand Jedi style, he is not the player you're looking for. This is not the draft pick you're looking for. Julius, that's like the Beatles. That was not uh, Alec Guinness. My apologies to the late, great Alec Guinness. Um, Julius Randle going at 55 is uh, a number that is that is very strongly weighted by 8-cat and points leagues. He's just not, he doesn't belong here in 9-category leagues. He's uh, relatively durable by all accounts, so you know that's a way where he could be better than that by totals, and he actually was last year better than that by totals. But again, you know, at this juncture, pick 55, so you're still in the fifth round. You're not looking for the plotter. You're not looking for a 75-80 range guy who's going to play every night. You're looking for somebody who's 55 or better per game, and then health on top of that would be kind of the icing on the cake. You want to get to, like, getting the league average games played would be swell. Getting beyond that is the icing. But taking somebody who's much, much worse per game... Uh, then where you're drafting them and then hoping that they can beat it by totals. That's that's a consistent recipe for disaster. Now, points league style, like we just talked about, you know, he's basically a late second, early third. So, you know, that's why he has this ranking. And 8-cat, this is more or less where he was last year in 8-category leagues. He moves up from 70s to 50s by eliminating turnovers. I think he was 53 if you're in 8-category leagues last season. So that makes all the sense in the world. His role may shrink a little bit. New York trying to get a little more efficient each year on offense. But he's still going to be out there, and he's still going to be chucking, and he's still going to be putting his head down, and he's getting his rebounds, and he's making his passes out of the post and sort of inefficient slowdown offense. It's going to still happen. And um, that's why I don't like him in 9-cat. Oh, man, you know, I threw Tyrese Maxey on the graphic for this one, and now I feel a little bit... Disin- Ugh. That's a dirty move by me of not getting to him. I thought we were going to get to talk about Maxi, but we're at the half an hour mark, and I think I'd rather just put a pin in it until tomorrow. Yep, we're going to do that. Putting a pin in it! We'll start with Maxi tomorrow. I know you guys want to hear it too. And by the way, spoiler alert, I faded Maxi last year. That's not the spoiler. The spoiler is I ain't fading him again. I love zagging when everybody's zigging. I love it. Faded Halliburton last year, back on him this season. Faded Maxi last year, back on him again this season. You pick your spots. Sometimes you can see when people are just a little bit too early on something. And Maxi was that guy last year. 
because he was like 60 range the previous season, and Harden wasn't really fully integrated yet. And you just knew that it wasn't all going to be there. Now, the injury was a different thing. I'm not even talking about the injury. I'm just talking about the per game with Tyrese. He slid back towards 80. But if Harden really does get moved, he's going to take on more ball handling duties. His usage is going to go up. And that's excellent news for someone who is a pretty damn efficient scorer. And if you could add one, one and a half assists, that's all I'm asking. I don't expect him to put up big point guard numbers. But one, one and a half assists on top of all that other stuff, then you start to get into a pretty nice grouping of players where he kind of takes the the Jordan Poole model, but with good field goal percent, that's what you're looking for. Why take Jordan Poole when Maxie's right there? We'll talk more about Tyrese to start tomorrow's show. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Again, please rate, like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. And again, if you want the B-150, first thing... Get yourself an Ethos 360 at sportsethos.com. I will see you guys over on the Twitters, at Dan Vespers. Your two for Tuesday is complete tomorrow. I don't think we're going to have time for two shows, but you never know. If I can squeeze in an extra mock, I'll do it, because I want to try to get to all 12 draft slots before Yahoo rearranges their board again, just so that there's kind of content for all of you, no matter what slot you get randomized into in your snake drafts. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. I get to take my kid to his first day of machine pitch. I'm freaking stoked. Wonder if my camera started working at the end here. Nope. <laughs> Damn you, new computer. Come on. Had you for a day. All right. See you guys tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.